Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Events with Benefits, a podcast designed specifically with the intent of helping your organization raise more money. My name is Danny Hooper. I'm a professional fundraising auctioneer, and today we're coming once again from the world headquarters in Orange County, California, the world headquarters of Winspire. And joining me here today, as always, our marketing director, uh, Ian Loth and Renee from Donation Match. Now, no kid grows up dreaming of becoming a chief development officer of a foundation. I don't even know what the heck that is. I'm Danny Hooper. I'm a professional fundraising auctioneer. Ian, do you have any idea? Because if you don't know, our guest today is one. Well, yeah, I've had the uh, the pleasure of working with with Carlos for a few years now uh, as his uh, during his role as the chief development officer at the Orangewood Foundation. He's just you know a tremendous uh, individual has been working tirelessly for that uh, foundation to to raise money and and, de- and develop those relationships with uh, the big donors. So uh, he has some great advice, uh, especially for you development directors out there, but but also for anyone involved with uh, you know trying to use use events to build those relationships. Uh, some absolutely outstanding content here. So um, again, my name is Ian Loth. I'm the marketing director at Winspire. Uh, we've got Danny Hooper here and then also Renee Zhao from Donation Match. Uh, Renee, what do you think? So Carlos gave us some great advice today about events for fundraising and even the fact that he doesn't have to run all of the events that benefit his foundation. I found that to be a great advice and he does touch upon uh, how he manages to have so many events per year, more than usual it sounds like, and yet still be very successful in what he does. And I thought it was very interesting too. He is going to talk about when do you pull the plug and when do you actually kill an event. And uh, that was pretty insightful. So why waste time? Let's get started right now. Carlos Leja. So Carlos Leja, uh, Chief Development Officer, Orangewood Foundation. I've got to say, I've never met a young kid that had a dream of growing up to be a Chief Development Officer of anything. Can you tell us what it is exactly that you do? That That is, you know, I've encountered that my my entire life. And sure, I, I, I can share with you, but I, I was the same way. I, I um, n- never thought, honestly, that I'd be a, a fundraiser or a chief development officer. But, but what I do is, is that um, you know, nonprofits are, are just like businesses. We're we're in the people business, but you know, we need to raise money and generate funds in order to to operate. So, what my job is is overseeing all of the charitable revenue for our organization, which is about five five and a half million dollars that we raise annually. So, um, nobody does it that all on their own. So, I have a great team. So. Um, it's a very complex um, organization in a way that we um, generate that amount of money um, on an annual basis. So we utilize um, people's skill sets with individuals, corporations, foundations, um, events, um, quite a number of events. Um, but again, it's really it's working with people, understanding who they are, what motivates them, but also managing a great team um, because everybody's motivations are different. Um, so I oversee that, and um, it's been a great nine-year run here at Orangewood. Uh, let's kind of focus for just a moment, Carlos, on some of the events that your organization might be involved with annually, and, and what are some of the key events that uh, organizations, nonprofit organizations, can consider hosting that do generate good revenue? Sure. You know, um, we have about about seven seven events that are about that generate revenue from six figures and above, and you know, 
to the tune of around two to two point two million dollars combined for all of those events. Now, um, I didn't realize when I came in here nine years ago how how event heavy we were, um, um, but um, they have a, a key role um, because you know it's 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 I don't care what anybody says it's it's really tough to, to raise a dollar. It is, and you have to be mindful about what motivates people from. You know, on one end of the spectrum, you know, a ladies' luncheon to the other end of the spectrum, a you know, a 700-person event with you know, 80 NFL football players. Um, so you have to be diverse, um, but you have to be professional. You have to be mindful of resources, both internally, what you know, donor fatigue, what's on their plate, and really what what they ultimately what what they want to accomplish. So um, you mentioned just some to mention to some of the events, you know, we do have a strong um, group of ladies that support our organization. So we do, um, this last weekend, we had a holiday tea with moms, grandmas, daughters, grandchildren. And um, I'll just tell you, holiday tea at the Ritz-Carlton is not in my wheelhouse. It's not. I, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, we figure out a way. And, you know, we understand what, why people want to attend that. And, you know, we work with the Ducks, um, Anaheim Ducks, very closely. So there's an event that we do with them. Um, we have um, a board member who's an, an NFL agent, so um, we have a, a gala and golf tournament there um, at Monarch Beach Resort. Um, we just started this year an, an Orangewood Adventure Challenge, um, where it's a team of four, where they compete in water, bike, and then running. And um, we were a little frightened about it at first, but it brought out a niche of people that loved it. So, um, so it was pretty diverse, um, but uh, it, it has a place in that um, overall fundraising figure that we have to hit every single year. So, Carlos, with so much static out there and so much clutter uh, in the not-for-profit space and everybody competed, uh, competing for those uh, much-needed dollars, how important is creativity and how do you guys keep raising the bar and coming up with fresh new ideas and approaches uh, for going yeah. often back to the same donors? Yeah, you know, you, you you have to mix it up, and you also have to look at what, you know, what's not working, um, and what um, what may have run its course. Um, about six years ago, we had um, our, our annual gala, which was called the Orange Blossom Ball, and it was a, a cornerstone in Orange County as the town and gown black tie event. Um, you know, for a couple of years, we changed up the theme. We went away from black tie. We had, you know, a my tie no tie theme with Tommy Bahama shirts. We had. You know, we tried to get creative, and and all the while we got feedback from a lot of our our board members and supporters that you know what, you know, there are so many black tie events out there, and you know, I'll give you ten thousand dollars to not go to another black tie event. So, <laughs> you know, we we kind of we really listened, and and then some of our supporters too said, you know, I I, I appreciate it, but please, we don't want to be honored at anything ever again. So, you know, we have to be really mindful of the other events we have where we have donor recognitions and not oversaturate, you know, all these recognitions because quite honestly there's not a lack of events out there that are recognizing or honoring people and that's what they hinge, you know, the success of their event on or a large part of their event on. So, you know, we eliminated our our, our gala six years ago. You know, we, we moved a lot of the that effort and dollars that, you know, may have come to that event to another event to make that more successful. So, you know, we try to look at where our strengths were, how we were different and, you know, we always look very strategically before we add anything because we just need to be mindful of, of people's time what their interests are and really what they have a capacity to get involved with so we've been i think pretty successful the way we approached approach events um keeping them adding them 
um, and then directing support to the ones that are really um, um, engaging people, but also having, you know, at the end of the day, um, the largest net we possibly have, can have. So, Carlos, I imagine as the uh, Chief Development Officer for Orangewood Foundation here in Orange County, uh, that uh, I would imagine your job puts you face-to-face with some of your largest donors. And how do you go about cultivating, uh, nurturing, and sustaining those relationships? Sure. Um, well, well, part of it is is that, I mean, I've been here now for nine years, which is, a, is a very fortunate for me because... For the people that have been supporting us for a long time, I, I know what their what their motivations and interests are. So um, I'm very strategic about what we ask them to do, and and I already know our board members and many of our supporters that do not want to go to any more events. They they just they don't. Doesn't mean they don't get information on them, you know. And if they they see a you know an entertainer or somebody, you know, at an event, they can opt in and go. But I'm, I'm very mindful about what I ask them for. Um, and we're, we're, we approach it very strategically. You know, with our board members, we have what's called a board support plan, um, which lists out all of our events, all the people that our board members might be working with. Um, and then we meet with our board members and strategically say, hey, Bill and Mary, what do you think they might be interested in? You know, all of our events have content on who we are and what we do. And, you know, so we work with them strategically if they want to try to incorporate the list of our events to engage a donor. Um, but, but likewise, you know, we have a number of people that I know, they want that experience auction item. They love to meet NFL football players. They want to be able to, you know, interact with Ducks players. So we know motivations, and that's just the benefit of being at Orangewood for so many years. Our CEO has been here for nine years, and we have a very engaged board with a lot of longevity. So by and large, we take direction from our board members and our supporters when they're engaging people and be respectful of what they may want to participate in. All right. Uh, so obviously you're swimming with some, some big fish. Uh, <laughs> what about, what about the little guys out there? You know, the smaller organizations, the, the smaller sure. nonprofits, what advice might you have to share with some of those small organizations when it comes to uh, identifying potential, potential donors getting that introduction, introducing yourself to them, and uh, starting to cultivate a relationship. Sure. And, and you know, as it relates, you know, to events um, and, and for, for some of the smaller nonprofits, um, it, it is a challenge. I mean, it, you know, really you got to get back to, you know, who you are as an organization, your, your board of directors, um, and then just really starting to get out there in concentric circles to meet these people. Um, it, it's hard, and I have to say this, I mean, Events can be very, very challenging. Um, it takes resources. There, none of it is free. Um, there's always a cost to this, but you can, you know, you can do creative things. You can mitigate. You can find underwriters. But it takes time. I mean, I came into an organization that was, you know, around for you know 26 years, um, that had a long history. Um, so I was very fortunate to have that background and our size and our recognition in the community. Um, I think it can be hard for, for some of the smaller nonprofits, but you've got to start somewhere. You've got to identify people. The information's out there. I mean, you can look at, you know, any, you know, you can get on websites, you can look, you can research, you know, there's the tools are out there, but you just have to start small and then start growing and building and start with a, maybe a smaller luncheon and find a key underwriter um, and have nominal expectations in the beginning. But I think for the smaller nonprofits, they have to know that it, it, it takes resources. It takes a lot of energy. And events can be a great tool, but they can also, um, if not planned or structured correctly, um, 
will will net take a lot of work and, and net you very little in return. Carlos is Ian Ian Loth here from Winspire. Um, yeah, it's funny. You almost sound anti-event, which uh, I, I I'm sure comes from years of experience. Uh, you know, organizing these things and being around. You know, so what? How big does you know uh, how big of a role does hosting these events play in your development strategy? Is it is it most of it? Um, no, it, it's really not most of it. Um, it's it's a chunk. I mean, you know, when you look at you know two million dollars a year out of a you know five point five six million dollar budget, it's about a third. But you know, these people that are you know doing sponsorships and buying large auction items at some of the larger events, these are people that we're talking to throughout the year as well. Um, we just finished a twenty-five million dollar capital campaign for the first phase of our charter school, which is beyond the six million, you know, five and a half six million dollars I talked about um, previously. So it's really um, it, it's, events are great too in that they do make those introductions. Um, when you have marquee events um, like the one we have with our NFL football players or the Ducks or any of the ones we have, I mean, some of these are, are endorsements and actually lend to people wanting to get more involved with your organization. And likewise, we've had people that have come to some of our events. We have, we have no idea who they are in the beginning, but when they, you know, the, the, the upside and the benefit of a lot of these is that you make a lot of new friends. And we have a new board member um, who came through an event um, that we, we, he came to total different, it wasn't us who brought him to the event, but we saw this person that, boy, Bob sure spends a lot of money. Who's this Bob person? Personally go, thank and introduce at a point in his career where he has time and he wants to serve on a board. He's become a major contributor to our charter high school. So, I mean, there's a lot of benefit that comes from these events. You know, I know I'm kind of going the, the woe is me. They take a lot of time and energy, but there's beyond the net of the event, there's a tremendous amount of good that can come from, from the relationships you can build with the individuals post-event. Now, Carlos, you dropped a word here a few minutes ago. Uh, you said you may have to start small, maybe start with a luncheon, find an underwriter. Uh, I just want to drill down into that a little bit. What do you mean by underwriter? And if you would share with our listeners the importance of finding underwriters to offset your, some of your expenses. Sure. You know, uh, I think one of the perfect examples of that is, is that we had, we have a ladies luncheon and then about, and they usually have a keynote speaker that we have a budget for, um, but we don't have a huge budget for, you know, by and large, we look for someone to do something pro bono free for us um, in regards to speaking at an event or being a keynote speaker but we had two chairs in one year that um, were selected pretty strategically that they had a very big interest and desire to underwrite um, an individual person. So they paid far beyond the budget that we could have afforded to underwrite this person to come speak at this event. And it had a huge draw from the community. We sold a tremendous amount of tickets and more sponsorships, but we would never have been able to have done that if it wasn't for those key underwriters for that for that guest speaker. So I think part of it is, is, you know, with a small nonprofit, if you have a key donor or supporter is, is kind of, you know, working and trying to um, see what motivates the individual and, and, and work to create um, something that is unique or bring some, some, something different to um, the event that they might be trying to, um, to create, but others don't. But you, you actually, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but you led me to something else is, is that if you don't have the in-house expertise, there are companies and people out there that, that have those expertise from a logistical point of view, 
from you know coordinating you know as it relates if there's a, an auction if there is you know just simple logistics of working with a hotel and negotiating contracts and you know the t- the thing that you don't want a chief development officer you know or anybody on your development team going to you know determine you know what's the cost of you know chicken lunch you know there are people that nonprofits should be partnering with so they they don't have to invest $60,000 in a special events person who is just one person. I mean, you can spend far less working with different companies that are out there that do this and bring far more leverage um, than you can ever have by hiring one person to do a special event. So Carlos, hey, this is Renee, and the number of events that you do sounds overwhelming for... um, So I'm on the board of a nonprofit, and we, we do gosh, three, four events a year. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it takes a lot of volunteer coordination for each of those. So that's probably the capacity we feel like we can even um, do based on our volunteer base. How do you manage the volunteers and, you know, going back to the well, even in terms of volunteer yep. time, not just sure. donor time or donors? Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great question. You know, part of it is, is and, and something to clarify about, I think I, over the course of this, this last few, few minutes with the interview, um, I mentioned different events, but there's about um, three, six, about eight events that are kind of anchor and key to annually for us. Um, of those events, we, we don't really produce all of those. We're beneficiaries of, of a couple of those events. So some of these events are structured in that we're a beneficiary and we have, we still have a lot of skin in the game. I mean, we need to, you know, work on bringing sponsors and trying to get auction items and those sorts of things. But like the Ducks event, for instance, we're very fortunate to have a partnership with the Ducks where, you know, we're the selected beneficiary for one of their events. So they will work on all the logistics, but we do have to work, to your point, with with donors and, and, and contributors and volunteers. Now, from the volunteer point of view, they're key and vital to what we do here. And Back in the economic downturn, back in 07, 08, um, when you know we lost a million dollars in support in one year, um, we made an investment in our volunteer program, where people may not be able to give as much as they used to. Many of them wanted to volunteer, so we have a very robust volunteer program where we have episodic volunteers who may come in for one day to do some office work, or who may want to sit out of the golf um, tournament hole for for the afternoon and meet the you know the people. Um, that are participating in the tournament um, that will help us with check-in, that will do other things. But we have a very comprehensive database um, with people who we know their interests, wants, and likes and where what they would like to do, um, and we utilize them tremendously at all of our events, whether so, we produce them or not. So, Carlos, while we're on the – excuse me. So, Carlos, while we're on the uh, subject of uh, volunteers, how do you go about uh, recruiting and, more importantly, retaining uh uh, your volunteers. So let's talk maybe about recu- recruiting, uh, recognition, and retaining them. Sure. Well, we have um, we have newsletters, both print and electronic, um, with our website, and we have a pretty good name brand in the community. So we do get inquiries um, quite frequently, but but quite frankly, it's also vetting the volunteers. And volunteers are not free. So we have a director of volunteer services here. Um, we have um, volunteer information centers here at our foundation offices. I believe at least two times a year where we um, have people come, they learn more about what we do, what our volunteer opportunities might be. Um, We have information on our website. 
Um, but we also look at, you know, we have mentors that, um, that we utilize, um, recruit and utilize with our youth um, who also become volunteers as well. Um, we have youth, um, former foster youth, who, who also volunteer um, with the things that we do. So um, we've been very fortunate, A, for our name in the community for over 35 years to have some pretty good recognition and notoriety. Um, but we work with, with other organi- organizations like Junior League of Orange County, Assistance League, um, we have a very robust um, um, auxiliary program with 44 Women for Orangewood and our PALS group, which is a group called Providing Assistance, Love, and Support. So we have vehicles in which to engage the volunteers so that they have a meaningful experience. Um, volunteers are not disposable. And I think far too often um, nonprofits will um, maybe lose a little bit side of that. And, and we have to. So I'm not trying to say that we're perfect because we're not, but you know, you, you just can't stick a volunteer out of the golf hole with no water and no shade for eight hours, and, you know, and it just doesn't work that way. You have to be really mindful about how you treat them, um, or they won't come back. Uh, any special recognition you award your volunteers? Absolutely. Every year we have a volunteer recognition event um, that we do. We host and we produce, um, and but we bring in key partners. We have a great relationship with the Embassy Suites, um, with Embassy Suites, so they help us, provide us a great cost, donate a number of the food and appetizers, and our CEO comes out, and we have different categories where volunteers are nominated and they're invited, and we recognize them and give them awards. Um, so, and then we try to do as much as we can when it comes to the different events they might be volunteering at, where you know if they staff check in um, and the event isn't sold out, you know they can potentially go and participate. You know, the Ducks event is a, is, a, is a great one. We recruit volunteers for check-in, which isn't a very glamorous job. But, you know, they can come dressed in theme, and then when check-in is done and their duties are done, they can go inside, have dinner, and, and enjoy the event. So we always try to make sure that they're not treated like, um, you know, that they're, that, they're, that they're appreciated. That's great. <clears throat> Thanks, Carlos. This is Ian here again. Um, speaking directly to the development directors out there, um, you know, knowing that could be talking to folks – from around the country, North America, you know, what the top three things that you would recommend for them in 2017 um, with regard to, you know, combating donor fatigue, uh, especially with regard to, you know, the, the monotony of the same event year after year. What would you recommend to those development directors? Yeah, um, it's tough. It, you know, it really is tough. I just think oh, always trying to find ways to be creative, taking a step back and looking at what your model is and trying to, you know, to change it up. You know, we had an event that was just going on for in its third year, and it was already starting to feel stale in just two years. So, you know, we took a step back and blew it up and changed the program completely and brought some fun and levity to it, knowing that the, the ask and the solicitation may not be as big as it was in previous years, but knowing that we needed to create interest and, and, and enjoyment for our people. And, you know, the event it may do a little bit less than, than what it did the previous year, but we have engagement and buy-in from so many people that attended this year that we know that next year it's a platform and springboard. The model is a, is a platform and springboard for next year to do e- even bigger. So, you know, it's just looking at where you can change things up a little bit, being really listening to your donors and just, you know, we listened and, you know, we, we, we had the, the model in place, but they said, it's not working and we're not interested. And, so, you know, we did that, but um, but it, but it is tough. And then, and also, just just you know, trying to look maybe a, a year to two years out, and if something isn't working, 
do whatever you can to find a, to figure out an exit strategy and reallocate your resources to um, to something that might you know be better for you. I, I was frightened beyond belief when we eliminated um, our, our our gala. I mean that was you know about four hundred thousand dollars in revenue. That well, how are you going to replace that? So, you know, it took us a while before we you know we, we figured out what our exit strategy was and and it worked. Carlos, when you're birthing a new event uh, or an idea for a new event, how what what kind of a window are you looking at in terms of uh, longevity for the event, or what kind of a term might you be looking at for that event when you're planning something new? Are you looking at at least a five year program or a ten year program? Yeah, and that's a that's a great question. We just added one um, this year, and 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 again, I fought it tooth and nail because I, I just didn't want to add another event, but it had to be different, and it, and it certainly was. But you know, you just have to look at your, your staff, what your resources are, the uniqueness, you know, donor fatigue, and if it's the right fit, then well, it was, and we added it. Um, absolutely, I'd look to hopefully at least have this around you know, at least the minimum of five, and, it, and with the potential for it to grow and become a perpetual event because of the uniqueness of the event. But if we could get five to ten years out of it, uh, I, 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 that would be a a, a goal. A dream would be ten. Hopefully, I'm still here. And I would, yeah, I'd love to hear. I'm sure some of our listeners would would love to hear some specific examples of events that you're you're trying right now or are maybe planning yeah. on trying. Yeah, we um, well, we're not, we don't have a anything on the slate for things that we're considering. Um, if anything, we would like to try to 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 take some things off because it is it is a um, it, events are a lot of work, but they're but they're great in so many ways. We we added something called um, the Orangewood Adventure Challenge. Um, uh, this year it was, uh, um, in October and, and I mentioned a little bit about it earlier is, is that, you know, we looked at, it, it's not geared to the, the typical 5k, 10k race where you, you sign up and you raise a thousand bucks for your, you know, to, to go five, you know, five kilometers. So not that there's anything wrong with those because you know, on scale, they can generate quite a bit of, of money, but it, that wasn't what we we're looking for. The concept that was brought to us by one of our board members was, um, really targeting um, C- CEO level, partner level, um, business owner level individuals to compete in um, in a challenge. Nothing that would that would kill you, but you know it it, it was pretty challenging. It was at Crystal Cove um, State Park. Um, there was kayaking in the ocean. Um, seeing some of these guys just get through the waves to get into the ocean was was pretty substantial. And you know the mountain biking. And you know I've never mountain biked before, but it's it, it, it's a challenge. Um, and then a run component to it as well. Well, we ended up starting small, nominal goals. Um, some people were involved were pretty little frightened when they found out what it was like. But when they finished, they came back and they were just elated. They were talking about, oh, my gosh, I, I, I'm going to do this next year. I'm going to train harder. Um, and it, it by far went beyond our expectations. Now, it was a leap of faith. Um, we needed some key people behind it. Um, but you have to just weigh what what your model is, what the drain is going to be on your staff potentially, and can you really do it and do it well? And we felt we had all those things in place. We did, um, and we're poised to have this be even bigger next year. Well, we all agree, I think, that the most uh, valuable kind of marketing any of us can strive for is the positive word of mouth, and certainly that sounds like an event that, uh, that did that. Uh, Carlos, I'm a fundraising auctioneer, so kind of a 
a targeted question here. You've been involved in organizing many uh, successful, very successful fundraising auctions. What advice would you have for organizations that are going out there soliciting auction items? What has been your experience as to what makes a good auction item for the live auction? Yeah, just, you know, experience opportunities. I mean, I think that, you know, um, and, and making sure that that there's it's easy for your um, for your purchaser to, to utilize. And I think the thing that makes me cringe the most is, is when, you know, there, there isn't clarity in regards to what someone might be purchasing, um, you know, that the person who donates it, you know, isn't clear with what they're donating. Um, you, you, you tend to really put someone off if, if, you know, they say, well, there was only, you know, two weekends in, in June that were available to utilize this, you know, this two-week vacation package, you know, obviously that's an extreme example, but, you know, I just think that making sure that the experiences are unique, um, even this, this perfect example is, is, is a suite to an event. Um, that's great, but you got to know your audience. If your audience would be interested in a, in a suite, you know, some of the events that we have, most of the events that we have, you know, if a suite goes into a live auction, it's, you know, you're not going to get what the value is unless there's something unique, you know, you know, can you get someone to have, you know, a special, you know, drop in from a, you know, from an angels baseball player, you know, or, you know, can you, you know, do you get the, you know, the, the food and beverage underwritten up to five. I mean, this, it's just got to be more than just a suite. It's got, people are looking for experiences. They're looking for things that are different. Um, there's not a lack of silent auctions and live auctions out there. And by and large, the people that are going to your events, they, 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 they've seen it. So, you know, always trying to mix it up and make it be unique. That's great, Carlos. Uh, just one last question before we kind of finish up here. And you've talked, you and I have talked before about you know the importance of, of thinking like a business when it comes to charity. Uh, you know, speaking again to those development directors out there, what are a few things you could recommend to shift their thinking uh, to focus on that bottom line, uh, fundraising bottom line? Yeah, I, I think that that the words, you know, like like the acronyms like ROI, your return on investment. I mean, you always have to be mindful of that. You know, you always have to be be willing to make an investment in something like this. Now, you know, looking at you know what your what your and I'm going to give a, a plug to Winspire here. I know you didn't ask me to do this, so please know people who are listening to this, they didn't ask me to do this, but you've got to be aware of the tools that are out there. I mean, there are some really great unique experience items that are offered by great companies like, like Winspire, you know, where there is an opportunity to, to supplement a portion of your, either your sign or live auction with something that can have a significant net um, on your outcome. But you've got to know your audience. You've got to know, you know, who's out there. Um, so it's really, you know, operating like a business, knowing who your clients are, knowing what the people that are there, what motivates them. Doing your homework, you know, days before or weeks before your event and seeing who's attending. And then also stacking those cards in your favor and making sure that you get some of the right people in the audience that you know are going to be very interested in the things that you're, you're putting out there at your events. You know, it, I, I, I try very little to, to, to ever comp out tickets to anything because that'd be, it's bad business. But if you know someone going to go and you know this person is a huge Dallas Cowboys fan and you have a, a big Dallas Cowboys item in your auction, get him in the room. <laughs> so, you know, figure it out and making sure that the return on investment is a smart one. 
So if you do host somebody, making sure it's someone that you know is going to be is going to help your net and your bottom line. So um, you have to look at it like that. Great, Carlos, and thanks for the plug. Uh, you didn't have to do that, but uh, no, just want to kind of follow up to that. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've heard so many times, you know, from from you and, and from other folks about the importance of doing your homework and getting to know your donors, figure out who's going to be at the event. Does that mean that you just have the biggest Rolodex and you are just constantly on the phone talking to these folks? How are you typically interfacing with donors to uh, to get to know them? Sure, and you know, a lot of it is. Um, you know, when someone expresses an interest or makes a gift, um, I call them and, you know, I see if they, you know, whether it be me or our CEO or other members of my team, you know, if they want to take a tour, you know, if they want to get more involved, we have a number of people that, you know what, just send me a thank you letter. I don't want to go to an event. I don't want to, you don't need to, I don't need to have lunch with you. Just keep doing good work. Let me know you're helping our, you know, the, the, the youth of, um, former, current, former foster youth and, and I'm good. But you just you have to know you have to make those calls and and you can't and you got to show gratitude. I mean you, you got to call and just even just say thank you and leave a message. You got to be timely in your thank yous and your recognitions to people. So you, you just have to try. Not everybody's going to respond, but you know you get to know them. You 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 find out what makes them tick in regards to what motivates them. Not necessarily what's what's in their what, how do they think. That's not how I approach things. It's really you know, just knowing what, what what their interests are and what motivates them and what they want to accomplish as a donor. And, you know, sometimes it's not events. And that's okay. That's okay. Sometimes they may want to come and they'll express and they'll know that. And, you know, you, you figure it out along the way. It's, it's building a relationship, you know, it, and, and relationship, relationships take time. Um, and um, that's a difficult part of it, I think, for, for a lot of nonprofits is, is that, you know, good people tend to move on. And when you build relationships, when you move on, it, 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 it hurts. You know, it hurts. I just lost a, um, a development officer, and I don't fault her at all. It was a great opportunity for her. But, you know, she, she developed relationships. And, you know, you have to figure that out and make sure that, you know, like any, any other you know, thing that you do, that you know, not, not one relationship is owned by one person, that this person knows multiple people within your organization. So, all right. Just, yeah. Well, Carlos, you've uh, you've shed a lot of light uh, on what it is that you do. You've helped us gain a lot of clarity into the into the world of uh, what being a chief development officer for a nonprofit organization is like. And uh, we just want to thank you uh, for these insights here today. It's just been a real pleasure having you on the show. Well, thank you so much. It's, you've, you've been great, and um, appreciate the opportunity. This has been another episode of Events with Benefits. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please, please rate us wherever you find your podcasts and be sure to share this with anyone you think it can help. You can find more information about our guest and resources in the show notes at www.eventswithbenefits.com. And please stay tuned for more episodes coming up very, very soon. Thanks all. And we look forward to seeing you next time.